0: Is Tina Horn, and you're listening to episode 11 of Why Are People Into That? So, last year I was sharing a modest little office studio space in Bushwick, in Brooklyn, with an organization that I really admire the Persist Health Project. Now, Persist is a peer-led organization that provides affordable health care to folks in the sex trades. If you remember the episode, Wired People Into Naughty Nurses, that was Zill Goldstein, the clinical director of Persist. And the executive director of Persist is named Sarah Patterson, and I just love her to death and admire the work that she does in sex worker advocacy so much. So, one day, if you can imagine us in our tiny little white-walled studio office space, uh, sitting down in our desk chairs and talking for almost two hours about why are people into sex work. Now... Pretty quickly we determined that there were sort of two lines of thinking, there's why are people into hiring sex workers, why are people into consuming sex work, being sex worker clients, Um, and then of course there's why do people do sex work, what motivates people to do sex work. Since we talked for so long, I decided to separate that out into two different episodes. So today's episode, side A, um, is really more focused on the client. Why do people enjoy watching porn? Why do people go to strip clubs? Why do people hire private service providers like escorts and professional BDSM providers? And also, what are some of the complications and social stigmas of that desire? And how does that desire affect the sex workers themselves? This can be a really polarizing subject, and I'm aware that this is almost definitely our most political episode yet, so make sure that you have plenty of cash in hand because we're going to dive right into. Why are people into sex work? Hi, hi, hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy that we are here chatting in our little studio in Brooklyn. Yes. Um, and I'm wondering if you could introduce yourself for our listeners. Okay.
2: Uh, my name is Sarah Patterson, and I'm the executive director of Persist Health
0: Project. Can you tell us a little bit about what Persist is and what it does? Great. Yeah. Persist is a peer-led project
2: that links sex workers with health services that are non-judgmental and affirming. And so we sort of guide folks through that process. It's kind of like care coordination, if you've ever heard of that. Um, It's like folks call us and they let us know what kind of services they need. And then we find a provider that fits them. And sometimes we accompany folks to their appointments as well
0: that's so awesome and um how did you uh come to do that work well
2: i've been in sex worker activism now for um going on a decade a little under a decade um and i used to work for spread magazine when i was in college and uh, after I worked for Spread magazine, I worked for the Sex Workers Outreach Project for some time and started doing some educational stuff for them and I just saw a lot of my friends and my community members who had transitioned into doing healthcare who were either uh, working less or didn't, didn't do sex work anymore and they uh, became health professionals or service providers. I think there's a lot of overlap between those two things. and Uh, I also saw a lot of places in the city where sex workers weren't getting great health care. And I knew sex workers who just didn't know where to go or the places they wanted to go were at capacity or just tapped out in terms of what they could offer. So uh, part of this is the idea that our community can take care of itself and it can do Mm. it better than other people can. Um, And so why not? And that's kind of the idea behind Persist. It's fucking
0: rad, Sarah Patterson. Thank you. Um, Well, we were talking about the difference between um, the question why are people into sex work um, uh, you know, sort of uh, the the two different branches of that are why are people into doing sex work um, and why are people interested in hiring sex workers Um, and we were just having a little bit of a conversation and finding out that maybe we're actually not necessarily of the same mind where I, I sort of feel like um, talking about why people are interested in hiring sex workers is not necessarily about um, let's support sex worker clients and give them lots of sympathy and, and give them lots of space because probably they actually already have quite a lot of that if they can afford to spend $300 for an hour of entertainment and pampering. Um, but um, But... But also, I feel like demystifying what those motivations are is actually, can be really helpful for um, demystifying sex work in general and can be, you know, can, can those conversations can be also good for sex workers. And I'm wondering what you think about that or if you also think that, like, that is just a big waste of time.
2: You no, know, I mean, I think, well, let's take, for example, like, demystifying why people watch porn that always usually goes pretty tragically right it's like these conversations where people are like uh oh why do people watch porn which almost goes immediately into why are people addicted to porn right (laughs) right that's like almost instantaneous um with most conversations about it or like why do people need porn like surely
0: they don't like Why should they need it or something along that line? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a really good point that there are, um, a lot of really major differences behind the motivation and also social stigmas around, um, being a porn consumer, going to strip clubs, hiring escorts, hiring someone for BDSM services, uh, uh, you know, uh, hiring cam, uh, shows, um, you know etc etc cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. there each comes with its own bag of stigmas mm-hmm. um and obviously not as many I think that it's fair to say the stigmas that come with those consumers of all of those services and entertainments are not anywhere near as um potentially uh, life-threatening as the stigmas that face the people who provide those services and entertainment. Um, but the stigma is still there, and I guess that they're, like, intertwined. But, um, but yeah.
2: Because of the secrecy of both elements of it? And or just the shame? The both?
0: secrecy and the shame, and... Um, I mean, I, I also think a lot of the ways that those... Industries are structured are structured around secrecy and shame, and so many sessions themselves um, between the provider and the client um, have the, the smell of shame is everywhere, all in the air, and often informs the nature of the interaction, or even the nature of that person's specific interest. If you if you see my meaning,
2: yeah, yeah, there is sort of and. I mean, there's, like, sort of a social concern element, too. I feel like I've seen – I've even seen a at straight jobs, conversations happen between people about, like, oh, I went to the strip club last weekend, and then they're like, can't be – there can't be, like, a reasonable conversation about, like, oh, how was the strip club? Was it good? Was there – were there good dancers
0: there? Right. Was there a
2: particular lady you were interested in? Like – Nobody has that conversation. Gosh, it's so
0: good that you took that you spent so much money there and said like, "Oh God, I like, I left and all my money was gone because they hassled it out of me or whatever." Yeah, no, totally. Nobody's nobody's going to talk about that. People are the the tension is going to get really high pitched.
2: Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. It's not like you know, comparatively, like, oh, I went to a restaurant and it was quite nice and the server was very lovely and I had this wonderful steak and I would go again. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> That's not the conversation that happens. Okay. And then there's, like, this immediate concern that, like, why do you need to go to the strip club? Like, is there something wrong with you? Do you have a problem? I guess that's maybe, if I think about one of the origins of the, what, what immediately happens when someone talks about uh, hiring an escort, or, which probably happens much more rarely than talking about going to a strip club, um, people are immediately, like, Concerned in sure. some way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. So um, here is a specific scenario. Like we can talk about this. I can say that I once um, uh, a friend once approached me, uh, cis male friend of mine, um, saying that he had been having, I think, a hypothetical conversation um, with his girlfriend. Um, in uh, in which she they, they were arguing because she was saying that she felt that if he went to a strip club, um, that that would be tantamount to cheating on her because her reasoning was he was showing sexual interest in women besides her, um, so she would consider that cheating and mm. if he didn't want to cheat on her then he shouldn't go to strip clubs. And he disagreed, but, you know, he was having sort of trouble articulating why. Um, and so we, we had a conversation about it and, you know, um, obviously every individual I think um, should be empowered to come up with their own boundaries around these things. But I think that sometimes people's boundaries are based on... Um, misconceptions or um, just sort of, like, frankly, ass-backward thinking about what it means to have sexual interest in someone other than your monogamous partner. And, like, for me, I think of going to a strip club as entertainment and the sexual component of that is like a a moot point to me or, uh, you know, ethically in terms of cheating. Um, But at the same time, obviously you can't, I mean, it is sexual. Um, Like there are girls like naked or mostly naked girls or people like grinding their ass in your face, right? It's meant to be sexually titillating. It's meant to be arousing. Um, But, you know, it is a reality that people are interested in people other than their monogamous partners and to me it seems like having a chance to go and be entertained and have a little bit of variety and have a like to be able to blow off some steam in the context of something that doesn't have to do with intimacy or relationships um, can be a really healthy part of a long term monogamous relationship Um, but I'm curious what you think about that scenario or that like sort of ethical question about whether or not like going to a strip club is, is cheating but do I think going to a strip club is cheating Well, a really tough one. I mean do you do you think that it is and also what do you think about the opinion that it would be hmm I
2: mean I had a similar scenario happen with Uh, a close friend of mine where her uh, fiance at the time went to a bachelor party that I think initially started as like a bar situation and then they went to a strip club or maybe it might have been that somebody hired strippers or something along that line Um, and she was annoyed that when he came home he didn't mention Mm. that there had been strippers, um, which knowing what I know about her fiance is probably because he was getting drunk and not paying attention to the strippers. He probably didn't really care. Mm. Um, but she was like very, she felt like there was a betrayal in the, like not mentioning the strippers part of the story that like that was in some way an infringement on their relationship. Um, because the lack of information sort of meant like, why are we concealing? Yeah. Like what's the concealment for type of thing? Um, it's possible that he thought it just wasn't relevant, um, or it's possible that, you know, someone else hired strippers and he felt like it wasn't, uh, his responsibility to let her know or something along that line. Well, it's a
0: vicious cycle, right? Because the, which comes first, the, the fear of judgment, which leads to perhaps what someone might consider a little white lie, um... Or the, like, ethical issue itself that, like, if you are in a space where there are women behaving sexually uh, that you have a responsibility to disclose that to to your partner, you know, it makes me think, like, uh, would she have felt differently about it if at this party um, uh, women who are not professionals had, as sometimes... People are want to do had like begun like behaving like strippers, right? <laughs> like like standing up, up on tables or, or like taking off their shirts or like grind or making out or grinding up against each other. I'm told that this happens at parties sometimes, like totally. You
2: know, yeah, I um, could totally see that. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's totally a, well. And that was interesting too because she said to me afterwards, like she had judgments about the people that hired the strippers. Like right. I don't I think it was like other friends of the guy who was getting married who like hired them for him. And she had like judgments about them and like their intentions for why they hired them in the first place. And um it's complicated because, you know, I have friends who are strippers and I work with strippers and, you know, that's for me that's like but I do immediately get worried too, because I'm sort of like, oh, okay, well what What kind of men were they? Were they cool? Like, I don't know. There's some some other, like, labor things that come up for me when I think about that stuff. Um, But it is, I mean, you're bringing up something that maybe it's about um, monogamous relationships and, like, how to have communications around that, but also, like, we don't have really a common social conversation about, like, how do you talk to your girlfriend about going to strip clubs? I don't know. Like. Well,
0: I mean, part of the reason that, that we... This is, this is part of what I think that I'm getting at, is that there aren't a lot of, um, I think, uh, commonly agreed upon uh, ethics... Around how to talk to your partner about your interest in sexual entertainment, um, because there's so much stigma, so much shame, at so much repression, and so it's just like let's like let's not talk about it is this sort of prevailing attitude. Um, Let's not talk about it. Let's pretend it doesn't it doesn't exist. Um, Let's like stuff our desires away. Um, You know, uh, and then. But people are interested in those things. And people even somewhat perhaps accidentally in this scenario that you're just describing find themselves in situations um, uh, that involve sexual providers. And then and then it leads to conflict because we don't actually really have a way to talk about that. And um, I mean, I don't know uh i definitely have a utopian vision of a world in which sex work is not only legal but also considered more like a like hiring a therapist or hiring like any sort of specialist with any sort of practice um and that perhaps Like, that doesn't mean that automatically everybody would be okay with it, but if there were more conversations about it happening out in the open, I feel like those conversations... I don't know, I guess I'm just biased. I think that conversations that happen out in the open are always healthier and always lead to healthier relationships with sexuality and communication between people. Um, I don't know, what do you think of that utopian vision? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the fear
2: for people is the, the like loss of control or the potential abandon that might occur if one were sexually stimulated outside of their relationship in any way. Right. I feel like that's particularly, that's, I think that's really, the, particularly with strippers, I think that that's, that's the fear, right? Is that like, because hypothetically, You're not getting off at a strip club, hypothetically. Right. Right. I mean, sure, there are strip clubs where that service is available, but like, for most of the formulas. ostensibly anyway. Obsensibly, you are just being aroused at a strip club. And so, like, I I think sometimes the fear is like, oh, there's all this arousal is going to happen. Where's the arousal going to go? Like, is it going to be directed somewhere else? Is it going to be directed back into the relationship? The, I think that, like, uncertainty is gonna be just released into the cosmos (laughs) (laughs) i think that that's kind of what freaks people out is um which is ironic since we have a culture that does that to us like constantly right with in other ways but and, and maybe that's i think that that's why um at least from just thinking about my own experience like Knowing uh, straight folks and straight couples and straight women, like the, that, porn is I think for the for most folks tacitly accepted as something that like can be it's self contained, right? Like you don't have to really interact with other people to get it. Right. You don't even really have to pay for it. It's it's right. Even though there. you should. Even though you should, <laughs> it's right there, and it's sort of like that there's like no other people that have to intermingle into your life in
0: order for that to happen which is an an interesting distinction uh between uh porn performers and porn makers in general and most other uh sex workers is that um the um the camera and the whole production acts as like a mediator between um the the sexual provider and the infinite amount of people who will potentially be aroused by their mm. service that they're providing. Um, but anyway, that's, a, that's another subject. But, 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 I mean, it's relevant because I think that maybe part of the reason that it is more tacitly accepted is that the porn consumer is it, it, like never actually meeting the um, person that they are being aroused by right. that is not their partner. And I'll tell you what, I mean, when I,
2: when I used to work at Babeland, uh, we had poor performers come in for an event once, and I consider myself a pretty cool guy. I thought I would be able to handle this very well, and like, when struck with someone that I had masturbated to in my presence, I was like, just slack-jawed, completely unable to have a conversation with them. I mean, I think I pulled it together, but <laughs> I can imagine, so like... When thinking about like this idea of arousal and like where it's directed, like to have that person in front of you, I Mm. think is like nobody tells you how to talk to porn stars in a casual way and not look like a fool. So David Foster Wallace talks a lot about that in his. So I lied. Some people do talk about it. I well, no, I should have read it. No, no,
0: he talks about he in in his essay on on going to the AVMs in, I think 1998 that's uh, right I uh, did read that he does that's talk right. a lot about um the thing that you just articulated about what it's like to it to talk to someone the like mind fuck of talking to someone that you have like watched have an orgasm that you didn't give an orgasm to um but um but anyway dfw yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but going back to what we were saying um
2: I mean, I guess it's just sort of a... Ima- people just don't know how to have these things in their life in a way that makes sense. I think that's part of it for people, is that people want sexual arousal. They want pleasure. They seek out things. Some people seek out things in the sex industry to find those types of things. And I think where that will lead freaks people out about where is that going to lead? What's it going to turn into? How am I going to be able to compartmentalize this or not
0: compartmentalize it? And yet, it is happening everywhere all the time. It is part of the, like, it's a deeply a part of the infrastructure of our society, of our economy, of social status, of gender relations. And it's... It, it, I mean, it affects our consciousness every day, every day and yet people are like, well, oh, I'm too scared, so let's just not talk about it, and yet, like, the, the ways that it, that these these desires and exchanges between, you know, consumers and providers uh, is, is all around us all, all the time, and I just, I don't know, I wonder what the world would look like, how the world would be different If we were acknowledging all of that, I really do.
2: Well, what do you think acknowledgement would look like? Because that's such, I mean, there's like such a broad spectrum of what, of how we could do that.
0: Well, I mean, I'm not even, when I talk about my utopian vision of sex work, I'm talking about it more as a thought experiment, um, in how that would affect hegemony and, Ideology more than I am suggesting a the more than I'm suggesting like political action to change because it would require political action because the, the the elephant in the living room with conversations about sex work it, to me is always the illegality or some things that exist in somewhat gray areas mm-hmm. of the law um, and you know another big difference between. And stripping and other kinds of sex work like escorting um, is that escorting is illegal in most places in the United mm-hmm. States, um, in most places in the world, and has historically been illegal. Um, uh, whereas, uh, you know, certain kinds of live, you know, erotic performance and certain kinds of filmed erotic performance are not. Um, And we could talk about why um, that is But the the fact of the matter is that it's illegal So I'm not even necessarily suggesting that I think that it um, That we That I think that we should take measure Well, I mean, I'm not even necessarily saying that I think That sex work should be legal But hypothetically I wonder If Sex work were legal and you could advertise openly, you could set up practice, you could get an official credential. So, for example, if you go to see someone to flog you, you know that you're not just gonna get some girl who thought it would be like really cool to like put on stilettos and be a dominatrix who might potentially like rupture your kidneys, even though she looks really great. Um, you know, you would actually, like, know that you were being flogged by someone who, like, had a credential in flogging from, you know, like, all of the awesome places that I know about the top of my head that you Mm. can get, that you can go and learn flogging, but you don't necessarily, like, need a, like, license to practice it, right? So, like, that would be cool because then everybody getting flogged would, like, actually know how to flog, and everybody getting choked out would, like, actually know to, like, press on the sides of the neck and not on the windpipe when you are playing joking someone um but anyway um just as an example um uh but you know how would that change things well it would mean that you might not necessarily need to use another name when you are a sex worker any more than a therapist or a tattoo artist uses a different name although obviously some feel like I've gotten tattoos from people named, like, Spider. And, like, you know... (laughs) Furring. Dancer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway. um, uh, So maybe that's a bad example, but you see my point. Um, And uh, uh, so you could... You know, there's issues of safety. There's issues of if you have a credential and you have a practice, then perhaps you also can get... Healthcare, Which is something that I think that you probably have a lot, quite a lot to say about how it would be different for sex workers to get access to healthcare care uh, if sex work were legal. Um, and also, you know, which is, I mean, the deep irony of that lack of access is that sex workers more than almost any other profession uses their body as their tool. In their in their profession yeah um, in ways that and when you use your body as a professional tool that affects your health in many ways all on the spectrum from disease to also injury and also just like like care that you need you know like yeah like, like uh, you know athletes get physical therapy and you know, Exactly. Sex workers, it would be nice if sex workers could as well, like, as a direct result of the work that they do. So that's, you know, that's another example. Um, And, you know, if even if sex work were something that was a really outre thing to be, if it was legal, then... You know it might not be as Hard to tell your parents That you're doing it it might not be as hard To tell the people that you're dating that you're doing it And like you know Not have so much fear of being Whore shamed or slut shamed or Not being able to Have access to certain things Because of the stigma Around it um, I mean, I You might be able to put it on your resume To get other jobs where it actually Like might be relevant
2: I mean I guess that's What we're talking about from either side is we're discussing, like, if you want to get sexual services, if you want to provide sexual services, you have to kind of step into this, like, orb of anxiety, this, like, panic that we've created Mm -hmm. around trading sex and sexual services. Um, And then you get blamed for the orb being there in the first place. Like, why would you... Why, like, why would you bring this anxiety into your life? And people are like, "Well, I, I didn't make the orb of anxiety. Like, right? Somebody else did. You all do. We all do together. Everybody does." Um, and so, that's kind of where the health impact comes in. Is that, you know, having to constantly? I mean, we call it we call it stigma, but I also think of it it. it just seeing the way that it impacts people, it's also just like a low grade panic that kind of just like permeates one's life around like different ways that sex work is going to insert itself into your consciousness and how that's going to, or I should say how the stigma of sex work is going to insert itself into different aspects of your life and Mm. like how that's going to impact different things for you. Psychologically, it just has a huge impact on people in terms of like, how they manage their day, how they manage their relationships, how they think about their resume, how they think about talking to a doctor, how they think about talking to their mother. Like, these are just all day-to-day things that, you know what I mean, that's that's the privilege of, that's non-sex worker privilege, right? Like, the, the privilege of not being a sex worker is that you don't realize that those things do impact sex workers like day-to-day activities and if you're not a sex worker you don't think about those things because you don't have to. Um, Except in the areas that we just talked about where you know your boyfriend goes to see, goes to a strip club and then all of a sudden you're like You're forced into, you can see the orb of anxiety then and you're like, I'm anxious now. I don't, I don't know how to control this. I have feelings Mm. and I don't know how to deal with them because, and so like the, the easiest thing to do is to like blame strippers for existing. Right. Or blame strip clubs for existing or, you know, say things like, well, those women are exploited. I feel bad for them. Right. Those are like really easy angle. Well, not easy, but they're very likely angles to take when you're trying to not deal with the fact rather than saying something like, oh, I grew up in a society where I have all this anxiety about sex work and I don't know how to deal with it. And like, maybe I should do some processing about how I feel about this. Like the likelihood of people saying that is pretty low. Right. When they could just say like strippers are dirty. Hoes and strip clubs are nasty,
0: and um, why would any self respecting man want to go to one? And then it it becomes a, uh, I think, I think that you're right. I think that um, uh, it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, then as well, because then, um, because these conversations are uh, you know, not quote unquote allowed to happen, um, then places do end up being literally dirty like they are not as they're not regulated or you know kept up the conditions what i'm trying to say is the the conditions under which people are forced to work when they choose or don't choose to do sex work end up being uh not ideal conditions um in terms of In terms of safety, in terms of health, in terms of emotional well-being, also in terms of creating an optimal environment, you know, Um, like you're not necessarily able to create the best environment for your client when so much of what you do is shrouded in shadow Mm -hmm. and um, or uh, affected by conditions of secrecy or conditions of... um, you know uh being clandestine or being um you know working with what you've got to stay off the radar yeah i
2: mean that's that's actually something that we we've had a few conversations with and persist about in terms of and we do we actually when we do our health and wellness workshop that's that is one of the things that we talk about in terms of how does our work environment affect the way that we feel about ourselves and the way that we think about our health and I mean you know for people who work in a dungeon or a brothel uh, they might as well from a like from a landlord standpoint or from a like a city inspection standpoint they might as well be squatting right like you know in terms of like How do you talk to the person who owns the building about it? How do you deal with the foot traffic? How do you... Like, there are so
0: many things to consider. Well, and just like... um, Some of the squats that I know are higher functioning than some of the places that I know that are, quote-unquote, legitimately rented because because people come together or individuals decide to like occupy and take over that space and actually like create something that you know has running water and is clean and has a library and you know like has a practice space and um or is it you know is a space where people can create art or or whatever and is safe and then some people squat in conditions that are like fucking disgusting by any measure and um but as you and I, I in my research I have found that some you know Dungeons, quote unquote, dungeons, um, and which are usually not actually underground but in like nice houses or apartments, yeah. um, you know, or or quote unquote brothels or quote unquote salons or whatever. Um, um, some of them are really nice and some of them are disgusting.
2: And I mean, I think, well, we also have to consider the impact that that has on people long term, too, because I think of Folks that I know who have run brothels or dungeons for 15 years of their lives and have had to, like, pick up and move at a moment's notice because uh, there was a new police commissioner in the area who was really interested in sex workers or, like... Because a law changes in your state, and all of a sudden, what you do isn't legal anymore, or it's like gone from being kind of on the line to being definitely illegal, and like you know, that has an impact on the way people feel about their their self themselves mm-hmm. and the way they feel about their work. Because like our career is for many people defined the way that they think about themselves, the way that they think about the world around them, and so if the world is constantly telling you that you like can't build a legitimate business even if you want to Mm. like that it can never really be 100 percent legitimate because there's always this other thing in the way of that happening um or you know in the case of strip clubs like you can just have these insane regulations put on your strip club at a moment's notice and you would just have to you just have to suck it up and deal with it yeah um, that you know, that has an impact on how people feel about their, their own well being. And it has an impact on I, I think, you know, it goes down to it has an impact on how they feed themselves, the type of relationships that they have, the way that they the type of housing situations they're willing to tolerate or not willing to tolerate. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like the you know, the type of education they seek out, the type of conversations that they have with people about their their own well-being it's just those things all it's for me it's all interconnected
0: well yeah you know i I mean i have an, an acquaintance of mine um you know started uh doing professional bdsm uh when she was uh 19 and worked in other houses and you know definitely like uh like learned a lot of those houses, but also learned what she didn't like about the way that things were run, continued to move on. Um, you know, not like letting anybody, you know, boss her like having having the self-respect to say, like, this situation isn't working for me. I'm gonna go try to find something else. Kept doing that for a little while until she decided to Forge out on her own and set up her own little operation, if you will. And that operation grew and grew and she started, um, you know, having other women working with her. And then she started an organization, eventually bought a house, and ran the BDSM organization out of her house for almost 20 years now. Um, And, you know, in any other industry, or I should say in in an industry that is quote unquote legitimate, um, i.e. legal... Um, this woman would be considered you know, her. Uh, she's industrious, she has self-determination she also I can definitely say um, you know, a lot of the reason that she made her own place was not necessarily out of uh, greed, but out of um, out of really actually wanting to create a space that she felt was fair for women to, to do that work as you know, fair as well as safe, as well as um, uh you know, uh, open-minded, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and in in any other in, in a legitimate industry, this woman would be considered to be like this very admirable businesswoman and uh, a role model. But you know, in her, by the time she got to her mid thirties and was feeling like maybe it was time to like move on, you know, thinking about other careers that she would want, she 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 really she had no. I think that she felt really trapped. Um, uh, and I think that that is a shame because actually this person has quite a lot to offer the world. Um, and because the, because what she saw an opportunity.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer
0: The willingness of many 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 people, mostly men to pay for something that she was learning how to provide Um, you know it gave her many opportunities but now she also has like limited opportunities because of the illegality and the stigma around what she does and and what she provides for other people to do and I think that that's a
2: shame And that's a really necessary redirect that needs to happen, because if you look at the literature, the very minimal literature on, and often not very good literature, on uh, the psychology, like the psychological, uh, there's this conversation about the psychological effects of sex work on people, there is less known about the psychological effects of being a sex worker in the United States. And that's the distinction that needs to be made. Like, there's wonderful literature on, like, the psychological impact of being a black person in the United States. Right? And, like, that literature doesn't is not about how black people are responsible for their own oppression. Right. But all of the literature that's, or not all of it, but most of the literature that's on the psychological impact of sex work on people suggests that sex work is inherently oppressive and doesn't look at, like, the psychological impact of trying to be a sex worker... In a world that just that says that that is just wrong because of it's, the illegality makes it wrong. Like ergo, one or the other. Like it's just conflated.
0: Well, and like nobody's supposed to. Uh, I mean, I, I have I've also heard the argument that um, you can't that that any sex worker that gets up in front of people and says, "I chose to do this. I enjoyed doing this. Yeah, I had bad days. Everybody has bad days at any job." Um, that's about the labor part not the sex part Um, that she can't actually be listened to or trusted because she's traumatized as a result of false consciousness right? Um, uh, which is bullshit and that's why there really isn't
2: that, I mean we talk a lot about sex worker stigma and I think that that's that's vital and important but I I also think that there are there is a real dearth of like mental health information about like what the long term psychological impact of consistently being told that your work doesn't matter or is or is wrong or like you know why didn't you become a doctor or whatever like well, well and, and, that's, that, and
0: that's interesting that that what you're that what you're focusing on is uh wanting to see the long term psychological effects of what you were talking about with like the aura of anxiety. In our society, um, from being a social worker, not the long-term effects of being a sex worker in the sense of being intimate with strangers, yeah, not the like job. Uh, yeah, not no. the like the actual job itself, but um, but uh, what it's like to then try to live in the world um, being somebody who has done that work. Um, because I have, I mean, I have a, a theory that.
2: Like for instance, let's take. I'll just give you one example. There's some literature out there that suggests that much like queer folks, sex workers are more likely to smoke than other people. That's interesting. Um, now, smoking is t- directly related to anxiety management for a lot of people. Like a, it's a coping mechanism, right. and that's one of the reasons why a lot of queer people smoke is because they're coping with fucking oppression all the time, right? So, and it's like a way of like. Calming yourself down, like, having something to do, like, Having something fidgeting. that you can
0: control, just ritualistic and
2: dependable. Yeah, right. And then, like, it's also a community thing because, like, you know, you're hanging out with other queers, they're smoking, you like, it's a way of connecting to other people. And it's also a way of distancing yourself from people you don't want to be around. You need to leave a situation, you go outside and smoke. These are, like, ways in which people use smoking as a coping strategy. Um, so there's some evidence that sex workers are also more likely to smoke than the average person. Um, and man, well, what else are you going to do when you're sitting around waiting for the phone to ring? Uh, Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's also that, right? It's like, it's, it's a time, it's a way to kill time. It's also like, you know, a way to distance yourself from your work. Like you, you get out of, you get out of work, you want to, you want to relax, you want to chill, you smoke a cigarette, you have a cocktail, whatever. So I just I have a I have a theory I am I am not a psychologist um, but I do have a theory that that there are probably a lot of occupational well I, I hesitate to use the word occupational because like I said I don't think it's to, to, directly related to the job I think it's related to the stigma and the the anxiety um, that people probably have long term anxiety issues as a result of constantly dealing with. Of, stigma management The mm-hmm. stigma management relates to how people that people get because I think that you're like sort of particularly if you're like if you're working at a place that has a bunch of video monitors and there's like baby monitors in the room people are listening to you mm-hmm. you have to like walk a client out you have to make sure you do the secret handshake on the like, mm-hmm. way out and like there's all these like cloak of secrecy things that have to happen like your heart rate is probably slightly above what it's supposed to be Work all day at work. So, and if you're working, if you're working a shift, that could be like six to eight hours. So you could, you could literally be spending eight hours out of your day with like a low grade anxiety all the time.
0: Well, right. I mean, and the other, the other side of that coin is, uh, that I think is, uh, seductive and attractive for people is that that can also manifest as an adrenaline rush. Right. And it can oh, yeah. also manifest as, um, uh, as j- just, a a feeling of, a, a clandestine feeling of doing something underground and, uh, dangerous and interesting. Um, uh and iconoclastic and then also um even the sort of the the rush that you get as a performer or as an artist as well um of of going through all of those those little rituals but yeah it it, it also it's it's a it's a double-edged sword um to mix metaphors because um it the on one hand like adrenaline rush is great on the other hand um uh that also can, depending on the circumstance, can also end up looking like anxiety or can start out one way and end up being another way or be one on one day and another on another day. Um, and maybe something that starts out as feeling like an adrenaline rush all the time eventually becomes more having to do with anxiety and then you have to have coping mechanism like smoking or other addictions. And I guess going back to what we were initially saying, I would argue that the circumstances that produce that anxiety have to do with social stigma and and the consciousness and circumstances that, that um that, that stigma forces sex workers into rather than the actual literal in a vacuum exchange like like trade of sex for money
2: and that's so much to manage at one time and you're totally right i mean there could be a lot of good stuff in that bag too like just the the idea that you know you're managing what am i wearing what does this client want what am i doing today what house management today what's the situation where i'm working like and then all of the privacy stuff and all of that going together and also just like the performance of the actual sex work itself is so many things happening at one time and it totally, I mean, I think for folks it can definitely manifest as adrenaline and then, like you said, the flip side of the coin and anxiety, like, which actually, and when I think about sex worker activists and like sex worker activists who have stopped working or aren't only working sporadically or um, things like that, it's interesting because I think that 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 like sort of need to like have that anxiety pumping or adrenaline pumping like comes through in the activism. Like I hmm. in terms of like in terms of burnout, like I see people push themselves really 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 hard for free since ninety nine point nine nine percent of sex worker activism is done for free. Um, I see folks work really hard, and that's the sort of transfer that like. Level mm-hmm. of intensity over to something else as well. I mean, so maybe, of course, we haven't gotten into this, but and this is always is so hard to say because the type of people who trade sex are so 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 diverse, and it's so difficult to generalize any of it. Um, but whether it does attract folks who either who like the personality development aspects as of it, but, I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. I've definitely known sex workers who were like. I'm an outsider. Like, I want to do outsider things. Like, this fits my personality. I want to develop more around feeling like an outsider. Word. Um, and then, but then also, just folks who who just get into it for for many other different reasons. So that's not necessarily the reason why why folks do it. But um, but I do think that there is you you get tripped you get tripped up in it because folks may go into it for that that adrenaline that feeling of adrenaline of like being a performer and like succeeding at something, making something happen um in a sex work environment. But then I I see people I, I think that the the stigma is such a trap because it's like mm. it, it 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 gets internalized in ways that I think people don't always expect is gonna happen. And it it kind of like comes up in weird it manifests itself in weird behaviors where I think folks don't even realize that it's like it's internalized itself in that way it's so insidious yeah the the anxiety is really insidious in terms of how it affects um, people's own internalized shame or their own feelings about their life and it's sometimes difficult for us to see it right away is, is what it actually is
0: Well, you know, you hit on something that's really interesting because, uh, yes, there are uh, obviously as many different motivations for wanting to be a sex worker as there are motivations um, to uh, want to be a firefighter or an astronaut or a teacher or whatever. Um, But um, I, I think that Every, I think it's probably fair to say that every sex worker has their own experience of a personality uh, shift, or uh, I don't want to say split because um, you know that um, is its own personality, specific their own thing, um, but uh, and I don't want to necessarily suggest that it has anything to do with mental health, but. Um, uh, there, There is... You do have to be somebody else at work in a very literal way. Most sex workers use an assumed name. Most sex workers behave in ways that, that are not necessarily reflective of them and perhaps even purport to... Have opinions that they don't actually have. They, they play a role, mm-hmm. and some people I think relish the opportunity to develop that role for whatever reason—for uh, artistic reasons, for coping mechanism reasons, for security reasons, for psychological compartmentalization reasons. Um, but, uh, um, but the 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 truth of that actually is that in sex work, it's just more literal than how it is for everybody else. I mean, I think that I would ask like, everyone listening to this program to stop and think about a job that they've had where they have felt like they had to be somebody that they're not. I mean, you know, first of all, you could be in a bad mood and you have to be in a good mood at most jobs, um, especially ones that involve Interacting with clients mm-hmm. you know, You're okay. feeling low energy You gotta figure out how to be high energy um, You are uh, You know you find someone um, Disagreeable In some way You gotta figure out how to make It seem like you find them Like the hottest shit Ever
2: um, You only have to read
0: Yelp reviews of restaurants To
2: figure that one out Right you know, the server being nice or the ser- the server seeming interested in whatever you're talking about is an essential component of most for most people going out. Right. Having been a bartender for five years, it is not an essential component for me going out because <laughs> I totally get it. But uh, but I do. But I you know when you go out to dinner with someone and they're like, oh, the server is so it's like
0: so nice. indulgent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she was so great that she did that, or so great that he did that for us. Right. I mean, it's part of what you're paying for instead of fucking staying at home and making yourself dinner. Right. Right. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I, I, you know, I, um, I like the idea of, um, you know, sometimes when I get off work at my retail job in Soho, it's really jarring for a second to like go out to dinner or like go do some shopping like in the area because... All of a sudden, I'm like, it's it, it, like the tables are turned, and like somebody's like, "Do you need anything?" And I'm like, "Oh gosh, I do. I have questions." <laughs> <laughs> not, like, all, all of a sudden, I'm not the one with the answer; I'm the one with the question. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I mean, I think that the, the point of this conversation, as it could be the point of many conversations, is that um, sex work is just like other work, just with sex and sex is a big deal for people <laughs> and um, makes things very charged and people bring a lot of baggage and a lot of preconceived notions to things and it just also you know ironically sometimes sex makes people behave very in a very juvenile manner even though technically it's something for grown-ups to do and engage in and talk about and entertain one another in um, and
2: there's something to be said for the fact that so many folks who are in the sex trade are women or gay men. Right. Who are already sort of, are already feminized into social service professions and service professions as service providers. That's a really fucking good point. Yeah. and it, And so I guess, you know... <laughs> When you Even when you think about folks who are, are very anti-sex work, you think about, you know, um, the ways in which girls are socialized and uh, the way that they're told to perform their gender is very much in line
0: with service provision. And taught to be accommodating and to know how to uh, pamper and indulge people. Yeah. Yeah, that's and definitely a part of people... our programming as... as um... Female assigned at birth. Yeah. folks.
2: Yeah, don't 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 set boundaries. Don't be a bitch. Don't don't don't, don't have a don't opinions. have a hard line. You yeah. know.
0: Yeah. Well, that that leads me. You know, I mean, one thing that I really do kind of want to to talk about, and I have um, uh, an example that I feel like might um, stimulate this conversation or this line of conversation um, or be illuminating. Um, uh, is that kind of also part of what I want to talk about is, like, putting ourselves in the, in the mindset of someone who... Uh, of, of a sex worker client. Um, and, um, and the example that I want to give is, um, I've recently had the opportunity to, um, uh, in my research... Um, to become aware of um, a sector of sex work that I didn't really know that much about before, and that is um, erotic massage. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, suffice it to say, I have recently learned that um, Midtown New York, Midtown Manhattan, um, is crawling with handjob parlors, um, mm-hmm. mostly in... Residential apartment buildings, some in, like, uh, office buildings in midtown Manhattan. And... And dungeons, although to a lesser extent. Totally. Also dungeons. Um, peppered here and there for a little a little kick. Um,
2: Folks do not walk around the 30s and the 40s looking for these places. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, but they're there. Um... Look for advertisements instead. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, And the thing that I found so mind-blowing about these parlors is that right now, like it's, what time is it? It's 4.20 (laughs) on a Thursday afternoon in October in New York City. Right now... I think it's safe to say hundreds of men or somewhere near hundreds of cisgendered men have the access and opportunity and somewhat social encouragement to a certain degree to uh, or encouragement for the curiosity to pursue an experience where they go to an apartment and someone that they find attractive, mostly cis women, it seems to Mm. me, Will pamper and indulge them, laugh at their fucking jokes, pretend that they care about hedge funds or whatever the fuck, Um, pretend that they care, that they like the same sports team and that they liked the same movies um, or whatever, and um, uh, you know, that this attractive person will be wearing like. Lingerie or panties or next to nothing or nothing and will massage them literally massage them Like with lotion and shit and then turn them over and Give them a handjob in a very, you know, uh, I mean I think it probably varies from parlor to parlor, but in my experience, you know in in a very involved Erotic manner. That's not just like mechanical um and then give them like a scrub down with perhaps Dr. Bronner's soap and those loofah gloves. Um give them I a love towel. I I you know I love them too, especially after a hand job. Um uh but anyway, um and then uh, you know, uh continue to um smile and you know, bat their eyes and toss their hair around and then send them on their merry way. And I When I became really aware of this and like really saw it in action, it just made me realize, I mean, how... I don't know about you, but if I'm having trouble focusing in the middle of the day or if I'm in a grouchy mood or I'm feeling low energy... I do my best to rub one out, and if like I have the opportunity, it's one thing that's great about being a freelancer. Like, I will rub one out. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I have a lot more mental clarity and inspiration and stimulation. And I I could work until like 10 o'clock. No problem. Like I'm having my best ideas. Like I feel fucking fantastic. Um and recharged. And like there are hundreds of men all day long in Manhattan, where many, many, many things are done for this planet, um, who are who are getting not only, like, not only jerked off, but also, like, a fucking massage, which also is super clarifying and recharging and relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so is, like, we were talking about with any other service p- uh, profession. It's also really nice to have somebody, like, act like they care about... Your fucking problems or your fucking face. Probably and,
2: better than having three martinis at lunch. I'm
0: yeah, not yeah, probably better. And all of this is to say, can you imagine how different the world would be if women and trans people and genderqueer people were. Told, socialized, brought up to believe that they were also entitled to that experience, because there are a lot of like people who are not cis men working in Midtown right now who could use a fucking hand job. That is what I'm trying to say. There, you know, there's a That's lot the of people. Best
2: ending of that story. <laughs> there's, there's
0: a lot, there's a lot of people in the world who could, who could u- use a hand job right now. But you know, so part of it is that. Um, Handjobs for everyone. Handjobs for everyone is my motto. Um, I mean, everything for everyone is my motto. But, but, you know, so first of all, I'm just going to generalize for the sake of uh, language and say women. Women are not socialized to consider taking that time for themselves unless it's to shop or they, their version of that would be like getting a pedicure, which is nice, but right. a pedicure is not a hand job. Um, it's just not.
2: Um, and sometimes I'm more concerned about the labor conditions at the nail salon than I am at totally. the massage parlor. It's another, it's, another,
0: it's another podcast. <laughs>
2: That's another podcast. Totally. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have to think really hard about going to a nail salon because I have very ambivalent feelings about, Be about charging being charged so little Mm -hmm. for something that is for me so much like to have someone rub my feet like that is really big for me. And then to only, you know, in New York, you can get a pedicure for like 15 bucks. Oh my god, you can get
0: that, you can get a totally decent one on the Lower East Side for like eight,
2: which is crazy. I mean, that's just, I always end up tipping like almost 100% on things like that because I can't I like can't in good conscience not do it And just I have too many feelings
0: (laughs) well so 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 there's there's that um there's like actually thinking that you deserve to take that time for yourself there's the glass ceiling and the fact that women do not have as much cash on hand that they can just make disappear without anybody asking any questions Mm -hmm. um uh, which is what I often say when people are talking about like, well, why do more men than women hire sex workers in general? You know, I really personally don't think that it has anything to do with men being hornier than women because I know a lot of horny women, as I'm sure you do, mm-hmm. um, as I hope many of our listeners do as well. And if they don't, I can introduce them to some horny women. Um, <laughs> but um but then beyond the, uh, uh, beyond the permission to indulge, there's the permission to allow a stranger um, or even to develop a uh, professional relationship with someone as we do, again, with tattoo artists, therapists, even the people that make our coffee, etc., etc., Um, To develop an intimate relationship with a professional um, such that you would, um, uh, you know, allow them to not only uh, touch your naked body and and relax you and to be able to be receptive to that touch and accept that touch, but also accept it erotically and accept an erotic massage, um, even from a stranger that you find very attractive um, Mm -hmm. or who is really, really, really good at pleasuring a woman. Um, and I know a few people like that as well um so so I just I, I just i'm i'm uh I know it doesn't sound like it but I'm speechless <laughs> you know i I feel like uh if if i I think about this shit all the time and if I had never considered a world in which women and queer people could do that in the way that cis men can then a lot of other people haven't thought about it either and I feel like we should I feel like we should think about it I feel like we should talk about it I feel like we should change it because I really think that actually like maybe you know, and and men are like, oh, like you know, like you know, women. Women can't be politicians. Women can't be CEOs. You know, because they're so like high strung and like they're such crazy bitches. Like they wouldn't be if they were getting hand jobs all day. You know, like oh, men are like so much. You know, and I, this is this is not. You know, I love men, but like when I when I say men, what I mean is the patriarch. The patriarchy and those who are allowing the forces of the patriarchy to work through them and move through them and are allowing and are accepting the perks that the patriarchy really, really wants to give them. You know, um, a lot of the times I think that those people don't realize how good they have it with their fucking midtown, midday hand jobs.
2: And this is where the cult of anxiety comes in again because you know, uh, anti-sex work feminists would have you believe that all of those women are exploited and there's no way to get those services without someone losing something. You know, and that goes... I mean, that speaks to the heart of our anxieties about capitalism, too, right? As, like, like, there can't be a transaction if someone's not being exploited in it. And yes, I mean, I do think...
0: I mean, I think that i have true. been known I have been
2: known to say things like If you are at your job, you're probably being exploited in some way, that is the nature of all jobs. um
0: I have also been known to say that <laughs> <laughs> um so it's, but that's but uh, but uh, you know uh that anxiety uh also doesn't get talked about because you know and i I, and I feel like that anxiety should get talked about too. The anxiety of the exploitation of labor. Yeah. And
2: why should I feel more guilty about going to a massage parlor than I do about going to Walmart? Right. Because I Or going and getting a pedicure. Or going to get a pedicure. Because I feel pretty guilty about going to Walmart. So, but is it as much as I feel guilty about going to a massage parlor? I don't, you know. Yeah. I think for most people, it's the massage parlor that wins out as the the most guilt ridden, but I suppose that goes back to what you're saying. Like, I mean, that's the question. I don't know if we have, we can get an answer to it, uh, as to whether clients do feel a certain type of way about going to massage parlors and, and whether they do, they do think, I mean, I think, I mean, thinking it varies like anything, of course, um, the reactions that I think I've read some research on, like what on what clients think about their sex workers or the sex workers that they see, um, and I think some folks do think that they're exploited, and some folks don't at all. Some folks can just see what's in front of them in terms of the conditions that they're going into to yes. see to see um, sex workers, but yeah, I mean. Handjobs for everyone. Really...
0: Well, you know, I mean, like, let's back up and talk about, like, you know, handjobs are funny, and so you insert handjob into a sentence, and it and it's funny. But like, what's what's really what's really behind the, the handjob? <laughs> it's the new VH1 series behind, behind, the, behind hand the glass handjob. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but it, in all seriousness. You know, what are like why are people into that? Why do by and large, yes, it's men. It's cisgendered men. Uh you know, a lot of diversity within that designation, but um uh cisgendered men are uh sex work consumers uh vast majority. So what are they after? They're after satisfaction, but also like you know, uh, everybody masturbates. Um, there are probably uh, some sex worker clients who can't, who feel guiltier about masturbation than they do about hiring someone to masturbate them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a thing. Absolutely. Um, but um, uh, but there's also quite a lot of people who can give themselves that kind of satisfaction, um, and who can, um, you know, if you have, I mean, let's just. Say that you have, you know, twenty dollars to spend on porn or fifty dollars to spend at a strip club or three hundred dollars to spend for an hour with an escort or a BDSM provider, um, you know, or uh, you know, forty dollars to spend on cam shows or um you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um You know, you could spend that on going, you know, you could certainly spend it on a, like, Swedish massage with no happy ending, Mm -hmm. um, which would be beneficial to your health and relaxation. Um, You could spend it on any other experience that would give you that sort of, like, service indulgence. Um, So, why sex work? Um, I mean, I think excitement Right, and danger, the same kinds of things that we were talking about that are often uh, the adrenaline rush that is true for uh, workers. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and and part of that adrenaline rush for the the client as well as the worker comes from stepping into this realm of the forbidden, mm-hmm. right? So doing something that you are told that you're not supposed to do, mm-hmm. Um And then, um, like, yes, all of the reasons that people want sex for pleasure, because it feels good, because it makes you feel powerful, because it satisfies something, like, more like a, an urge that has some sort of psychological origin, um, uh, and then also, like, fucking company. And intimacy, Mm -hmm. and, you know, there are many kinds of sex work that provide the experience of intimacy, which is not necessarily an illusion, um, any more than, um, you know, the person making your coffee, like, making eye contact with you and smiling and saying that they like your tie is an illusion like in the sense that it's fake like the minute you walk out the door like the barista or the whore like turns to someone and says like oh my god i fucking hate that guy that i just told that i really (laughs) like his tie like that of course is also real that's that's a thing um but you know i mean i think that You know, I think that some people want to hire a sex worker because they want general sexual stimulation or a particular kind of sexual stimulation um, with uh, that is like no strings attached. Right. Mm -hmm. So they they in in a sense, they want intimacy without intimacy like they want um, Mm -hmm. uh, or they want pleasure without intimacy or they want intimacy without commitment Um, you know, I, I think that there are definitely some people who are too ashamed or shy of the particular proclivity that they have, like they're a foot fetishist or they are like actually like really turned on by a trans woman and they, you know, they like don't want to be out about that and about, you know, that in real life. So they like turn, um, you know, an entire group of people into a fetish or they turn like a... You know something that is just about bodies, like foot uh, fetish, into or or you know an interest in feet, like mm-hmm. into a fetish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, so they hire somebody because then they don't actually have to like ask their partner or ask their date um, to do that thing for them. And sometimes, perhaps even people would prefer to do those things with someone that is not their partner that doesn't know them. And yeah. I don't think I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Like. You know, you like to, you know, I like to drink coffee and make vegan dinner and like talk endlessly about sex work with you. And then I have other friends who I will like go for a run with. And I have other friends who yeah. I will, um, well, that other friends that I will have sex with and other friends that I will like tell all of my, that I will like call when I need a good cry. Um, not that I wouldn't call you. But, um, uh, you know, like we have different relationships with different people and we like to do different things with them and and be different people um, with different people. So sometimes that compartmentalization is easier to do when you're paying for somebody's time. I don't know. Do you think uh, have I have I missed something? Do you think that there are other motivations for wanting to? sex workers
2: i mean there's um i don't know if you've seen this online there's like this running joke about new york city about how uh like a year if someone's in a relationship for a year in new york city that's like the um the like numbered equivalent to like three years <laughs> if you live in like denver or something right like if yeah, you we're... if you live in a less quote-unquote sorry Denver I'm saying that you're less cool so if someone from Denver is listening I apologize in advance um but like if you're from a more remote place or a rural place maybe you're a queer person there's less queers there like the you'll you're more likely to stay in a longer relationship vis-a-vis New York City where folks relationships are potentially shorter because they have access to more stuff right Um, and I think that that I mean that probably also plays out in how folks access sex in uh, cities versus in rural places. I mean, I sure. think for folks that are in more isolated places, that might have to do with this is literally the person that they're able to find who can do this thing right? and I mean we do live in the wonderful age of the internet and people have so much more access to being able to find people who do the thing they want to do than they ever did before Yeah. Uh, but that being said you know isolation is still isolation and plenty is still plenty and so in New York City you have access to an innumerable amount of things that you could ever want to stimulate you in a thousand different ways and Um, I think that that's a big, probably a big part of the sex industry in New York City is that you can just sort of bop around to all kinds of different stuff and try a bunch of different things. And that's a possibility for you
0: as a consumer in New York. Right. I mean, it's true about food and it's true about, you know, art and, you know, clubs and, uh, you know, every other kind of social interaction or Yeah, yeah.
2: kimchi tacos and uh, foot fetish hand jobs, and then they just all kinds. There's all kinds of fusion happening in the city.
0: One of my favorite things about Smitten Kitten is that I know that they are so non-judgmental and they are totally sex worker and sex worker client friendly. They have the great gear and the best safer sex supplies that all sex workers and clients need and you can visit them online at smittenkittenonline.com to get all those needs met. Thanks for downloading or streaming episode 11. You can listen to every amazing episode of Why Are People Into That on our fancy website designed by Justin Levesque, whyarepeopleintothat.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, and if you just wanted to poke one of those little stars or write a review, it would just, it would make me feel like the whore that I am. Um, other ways of making me feel like a whore include liking Why Are People Into That on Facebook and following at Into That Podcast and at Teen Horns app. See you in a couple of weeks for part two of Why Are People Into Sex Work. Until then...